Hi, this is Michael Buffer, and welcome to the Box Hard Podcast. Hello, everyone. This is Mikey Garcia. It's the monster from the swamps, Regis Ruguru Program. Hey, what's up? This is King Carlos Molina, former IBF world champ. This is Michael, the bounty hunter, 2012 Olympian and your people's champ. This is Charlie Edwards, flyweight champion of the world. This is Fast Eddie Chambers, and you're listening to the Box Hard Podcast with my main man, Joey Coastman. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 275 of the Box Hard Podcast. I'm your host, Joey Coastman. I'm joined as ever by the main man himself. It is, of course, the former heavyweight world title challenger himself, Mr. Fast Eddie Chambers. Eddie, how you doing, my man? I'm good, my man. How about you? Not too bad, my friend. Not too bad. Always good when speaking with you. Uh, This show, it's going to be, again, kind of brief on my part, just like last week where Eddie did the majority of the speaking. Uh, There's going to be nothing to review at all, so no review part. There's quite a lot of news, but it's news that I'm guessing diehard boxing fans uh, would have already seen. Or, in fact, any type of boxing fan would have probably already seen on Twitter. Um, It's, you know, it's the events that Eddie Hearn has announced, which... um, you know, he's he's put on quite a brilliant schedule, actually. Um, so we're all looking forward to that. That's going to be the news. Um, then there's going to be the preview part of the show. Then I'm going to bring in a guest. And then um, we're going to go into the lockdown knockdown, uh, which, of course, will be the time that Eddie did eventually go down to Cruiserweight. We'll get onto that in due course. Starting with the news part, which is... Something that I don't think we've we've probably ever done before. Starting straight away with the news. Um, yeah, Eddie Hearn, he's announced a card on February 13th. Uh, that one takes place, not quite sure where, I don't believe. But um, anyway, I'm going to just run through these fights. We have Josh Warrington, 30-0. Not sure if he's defending his IBF world title or not. Not quite sure what's going on there. He's boxing a guy who's just snuck into the rankings in um, in 10th, I believe, with the IBF. A guy called Maurizio Lara, 21-2. Not the fight we wanted for Josh Warrington. We expected him to be taking on Kanzu. That isn't happening. Uh, on the undercard, we get to see Lee Wood, 23-2. In a 12-rounder there for the vacant British featherweight title, he takes on 13-0 Reese Mould. We also have Dalton Smith, 6-0, in, an, in a bit of a step-up, really, against Lee Appleyard, 16-5 with a draw. Uh, Zelfa Barrett, 24-1, takes on Kiko Martinez, former world champion, uh, 41-9 with two draws. That one is for the IBF Intercontinental Super Featherweight title. And I believe on that card, Shannon Courtney, I think, is having a rematch with Rachel Ball. Could be wrong. Uh, But that's it for February the 13th. Moving now to the week after, February 20th. Um, It's on again for like the fourth time or something like that. David Avenisian, 26-3 with a draw for the 
EBU European welterweight title over 12 rounds against Josh Kelly, 10-0 with a draw. Uh, on the undercard, Anthony Fowler, 13-1. He's in a 10-rounder against Jorge Fortea, who's 21-2 with a draw. Uh, all the best to Anthony Fowler in that one, of course. And Amy Timlin against Carly Skelly, two undefeated females putting their O's on the line for the vacant Commonwealth female super bantamweight title over 10 two-minute rounds there. And also a brilliant fight as well. Florian Marku, 7-0 and with a draw, takes on Ryland Charlton, who is 6-0 and with a draw. Charlton, the guy that knocked out Joe Laws uh, most recently. That's over 10 <laughs> rounds there. Uh, that's February 20th. Moving out now to the 6th of March now. Uh, Alexander Povetkin against Dillian White. The rematch on pay-per-view. Uh, Povetkin 36-2 and two with a draw. Dillian White 27-2. and two, Over 12 rounds there. Um, on the undercard, Fabio Wardley 10-0. and 0, The young undefeated heavyweight prospect under Dillian White's management. He takes on Eric Molina. Could be interesting. Depends on which version of Eric Molina turns up there? Uh, Yusuf Kamari as well, an undefeated prospect, 11-0 and with a draw. He takes on Kane Baker. That's a bit of a step up. Ted Cheeseman, 16-2 and with a draw, takes on James Metcalf, 21-0. Uh, and That one's for the vacant British super welterweight title. And Campbell Hatton, the son of Ricky, he's making his debut on that card there, March the 6th. Um, moving now to... Uh, March the 20th, we have Lauren Sacoli, 15-0. He fights for the vacant WBO Cruiserweight world title against Poland's Krzysztof Glowacki, former holder of the belt. 31-2 is his record. It's over 12 rounds. Glowacki only ever lost at the top level. He's lost against Bradis and he's lost against um, Usyk. So he is a really good fighter. And that's a hard fight there for Lawrence Acoli, in my opinion. Chris Billum-Smith, 11-1 on the undercard against the undefeated 13-0 Dion Juma for the for the Commonwealth and British Cruiserweight titles. Um, Joe Caldina on the undercard, and also a brilliant women's fight here. Chantel Cameron, 13-0. I'm looking to try and get her on the podcast soon. She defends her WBC super lightweight female world title against Melissa Hernandez, who's 23-7 and with three draws. Uh, Melissa Hernandez, um, you know, she was a world champion and stuff like that, and she took some, some years out of boxing. I think she took about three years out. She came back in 2019 and beat Selena Barrios. That's the sister of Mario Barrios, the current uh, 140 world champion. Um, she came back, beat her, took her O, and then she disappeared again, and she's going to be back, because that was almost two years ago. So she takes on Chantel Cameron. Could be really interesting, that. Um, and then, going to the final one, which takes place on uh, April the 10th, we have Connor Ben topping the bill. Uh, he puts his WBA Continental Welterweight title on the line against... Teak Tough, Sammy Vargas, 31-6 and six with two draws. Real big step up there for Conor Ben. I know that Vargas's trainer, Bones Adams, friend of the show, is very excited for that one. Uh, Rachel Ball against Shannon Courtney. It's on that card there. Um, I think the, the, the fight for Shannon Courtney that I mentioned earlier, I think that could be a bit of a keep-busy kind of fight. Uh, you know, just one little run out before fighting Rachel Ball. It's for the vacant WBA female bantamweight title, the rematch there. Also, Savannah Marshall, 9-0. and She's defending her WBO uh, middleweight 
female world title. And yeah, there's a couple other prospects on the bill as well. Cash Farouk, John Hedges and Felix Cash, I believe, on that undercard. So Eddie Hearn has announced a brilliant, brilliant schedule there. Looking forward to a lot of the fights mentioned. Uh, That is it for the news. Uh, Moving on now to the preview part. And then we're going to welcome a guest. Uh, The preview part, just one fight to mention. Uh, It takes place this Saturday, two days from now, at the Mohegan Sun Casino in Connecticut, USA. It's going to be live on Showtime. Um, On the undercard for the WBA Interim World Lightweight title, Rolando Romero, 12-0, takes on Justin Puldo, who's 14-1. Vic Pasilias as well, he is 16-0. He fights here for the WBA Interim World Super Bantamweight title against Reese Aleem, who's 17-0. And the main event, we're going to be speaking to the man in just a few well, just a matter of seconds, I guess, uh, the defending champion for the WBO World Super Bantamweight title, Angelo Leo. You'll be hearing from him in a few seconds. He takes on the undefeated Philly fighter, Stephen Fulton, 18-0 and over 12 rounds there. Um, yeah, that's going to be really exciting. Really, really, really excited for that for that fight there. And um, yeah, that's it for the news part. That's it for the preview part, which was really brief. And now we're going to speak to the man involved in that main event. It's now time to welcome the first guest on this week's podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome the reigning WBO Super Bantamweight World Champion. It is, of course, Mr. Angelo Leo. Angelo, welcome to the show, my friend. How are you? I'm doing good. Thank you for having me. Hey, it's my pleasure, Angela. It truly is. So first things first, you've got obviously your next fight coming up in a real short amount of time. But I want to talk about that night you became champion in your last fight back in August of last year. Uh, For those that don't know, you were supposed to be taking on Stephen Fulton on that night, of course. He he was ruled out the fight with COVID in step Tremaine Williams. A uh, bit of a late replacement, you know, a, a, a guy that was tipped for big things, a southpaw, a lot of hype surrounding uh, Tremaine Williams. Over here in the UK, I actually think most people expected him to win, but you pulled it off. You deserve to win, of course. Tell us about that night from your perspective, Angela. Yeah, yeah, you know, um, Tremaine Williams was a tough competitor, uh, southpaw, slick southpaw. Uh, before the fight, they were comparing him a lot to Pernell Whitaker. And, um, you know, I knew, but I knew in my heart that I would beat him because of the conditioning I was, uh, my preparation for the fight. And that night, you know, I wasn't going to lose to anyone and I was going to win that world title, uh, regardless who, of who it was. And, uh, Tremaine Williams just happened to be the one that, uh, that I had to take on. And I believe you when you say, because you, you know, when you say it doesn't matter who was in that opposite corner, because you looked like a man possessed in there that night. Uh, you, you were absolutely brilliant. Um, you were one of the very few people, of course, to win a world title during the pandemic, during that period where there really wasn't much boxing on TV. Boxing fans were tuning in from all over the world to see anyone fight anyone. Um, do you feel like because of that? Angelo, it perhaps worked even better for you because, like I said, people were watching from all over the world that night and you've really exploded onto the scene now. Everyone's talking about you at Super Bantamweight. Yeah, exactly. I think it was a blessing in disguise for that to happen because, like you said, um, boxing was very scarce at the time. So, And uh, me being the first event on uh, Showtime after the pandemic, 
or during the pandemic, you know, meant a lot because now everyone was tuning in to watch a Showtime bout. And even though, like I say, you've you've exploded onto the scene, I'm not saying that as if you just came out of nowhere, but I mean that when you boxed Williams, you were 19-0, and 0, you perhaps didn't have that hype around you that some other guys have when they're 19-0 and 0, that have nowhere near as, as much talent as you do. Um, do you feel like you're only just now getting the credit that you deserve and 2020 was your real breakout year? You know, I believe so. I believe so. Um, 2020 was my breakout year but i think i still have a lot to prove in 2021 um a lot of people and a lot of my fans haven't seen the best of me yet and that'll come 2021 and i'll make sure to prove it on uh, the 23rd of january which we will get to in just a second. Um, again, just for those that may be listening to me right now, um, Angelo has quite a an interesting an interesting uh, resume because like with a lot of Mayweather promotions fighters um they're tough fights, but they're—I don't know—that this the the matchmaking is kind of strange in a way. Because if you look at it and you actually analyze it deeply, um, you know it's clear to see you're a special fighter. No one ever did what you did to Glenn Porras. Um, only world champions were were, were ever able to stop uh, Cesar Juarez at the time when you stopped him. Um, they they were really impressive ways to beat guys like that. That's, that's just my take. But anyway, you're signed to me with a pro- promotions. I've had a heap of guys on the podcast over the years that were signed with Floyd. Most of them had great stories about Floyd buying them a gift. Um, has the main man himself ever bought you something as a gift, Angelo? <laughs> uh, not yet, not uh, yet. But he did promise me after uh, this fight, if I were to win this fight, that he would give me a... A nice little bonus, he told me. Okay, okay. I think it's overdue. Anyway, getting on to that fight, Angelo. Saturday the 23rd at the Mohegan Sun Casino in Connecticut, live on Showtime. We finally get to see, you know, the fight that was supposed to take place. This time, though, you're defending the title. You are the champion. Stephen Fulton in the opposite corner. If I'm not mistaken, I think once again you're the underdog. Am I right? Yes, that is correct. What's your take on that? I think I think you you sound like a guy that enjoys being the underdog. Yeah, you know I don't mind it. Um, the pressure's off of me, and at the same time I'm, I'm the world champion, so it just gives me a lot more to prove, and it gives me a few to the flame just to to let everyone know that I belong as the world champion. And I want to ask, what are your thoughts on? Uh, Stephen Fulton as a fighter? There's obviously no doubting he was a good amateur. He's been an impressive professional, but. Your win over Williams is by far the best win if you combine your wins with his, by far, in my opinion, if I'm being honest. Yeah, you know, um, I know Stephen had been talking that he had been fighting undefeated fighters and all that, and uh, I just I proved it that night that I could take on undefeated fighters and beat them as well. And with the, the first fight falling through, do you think anyone would have benefited with the extra time, I guess, to rethink possible game plans? You know, people can sometimes get a bit too caught up in this kind of thing. But do you think anyone benefited at all? Definitely, definitely. I think, uh, honestly, both of us have probably benefited from from it. Uh, he's got to see me fight, so I'm sure that he he's uh, studied me a little bit more. But at the same time, uh, I've solidified my game plan for him. Everything that I worked on for the last camp um, is a lot more natural. Everything's kind of a lot more natural. So I think it worked in both of our favors. Uh, and um, the 23rd, there should be no excuses. 
And that's an absolutely brilliant answer to my question there. And without looking too far ahead, of course, Angelo, have you got any goals in boxing? I'm sure at one stage it was to win a world title. You've done that. You're you're in the history books for life. Is there a new goal at this point? I would say the new goal is probably to win another world title. You know, that's um, that was my main growing my main goal growing up was to to win world titles, and I already have one. So, you know, I want two, three, four, you know, the sky's the limit for me right now. So, um, you know, as much as possible, you know, I want to be, I want to be recognized as a, as a great in the sport. And when you talk about these titles, do you mean, you know, at the same weight at Super Bantam or do you see yourself moving up at some point in the future? Eventually, you know, I want to fight a few more fights at uh, Super Bantam weight and potentially move up to 126 and then uh, later on 130. Okay. Okay, I like the plan. And uh, just coming down to the final couple of questions, I'm going to put you on the spot a tiny bit here, Angela. It's a question that I like to ask everyone that we speak to from overseas. Um, Obviously, I'm from the UK. A lot of our listeners are from the UK. Do you have a favorite UK fighter at all? It can be a guy who retired years and years and years ago. It can be a guy that's still fighting today. The choice is yours. Who comes to mind, my friend? My favorite UK fighter would probably have to be be Prince Nassim Ahmed. Oh, yes. Yes. Yeah. What did you like about he him, was man? Down he was for sure. He's like the most popular answer. Everyone says him. <laughs> yeah. Prince, uh, no, just his, um, his, his, uh, his fighting style, his excite, the excitement that he brought to the ring, his personality, um, his uh, flamboyant style, just everything about him. He had knockout power, I think, is what, you know, really sold the deal with them. Is his ability just to um, to knock you out in one punch? <laughs> yeah, we we miss him. We definitely miss him over here. But anyway, just just wrapping it up, Angelo. If you've got any closing words, just to your list uh, to, to anyone that's listening to this, to your supporters, perhaps from over here, and also give them um, your social media platforms. Where can people follow you and join the journey? Right. No, I just want to thank everybody uh, from the UK, all my fans out there. Um, on January twenty third, it's going to be a great fight. Tune in. And uh, you can follow me on Instagram at Angelo X Leo. And uh, I also have a Facebook at Angelo Leo. You can look me up there. Okay. Angelo X Leo on, on, on Instagram. You're not on Twitter, are you? No, not yet. Okay. Hopefully we'll see you on that platform soon. But listen, Leo, it's been a real pleasure speaking with you, my friend. Thank you for your time. Best of luck for January 23rd. And I hope that we can speak again sometime after. All right. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Okay, now it's time for part two on this week's show. This part is simply the lockdown knockdown. It is time for Eddie's very own segment here. We're gonna we're gonna go here to um I guess the aftermath of that that controversial loss to Thomas Adamek in twenty twelve. Um you were you were back in the ring. It was again, it's, it's strange because you were coming off um you know when you when you lost to Klitschko, you were back in the ring 11 months later, then you're out the ring for 16 months when you took on Adamek, then you're out again for another 14 months, so you were very inactive during during this period, and that of course is uh, just before you decided to come to the UK, so yeah, I guess we're going to start from after the Adamek fight, but the main uh, the main subject is, yeah, the cruiserweight fight that you had um, back in August of 2013 against South Africa's uh, Tabisa Machunu. Where are we going to start this week, Eddie? 
Well, we're going to go right to the aftermath. I think we talked a little bit about this last week, but I'm going to just go and slightly review. But um, after the fight with Tomas, I was, uh, you know, right out of the ring. I was like a little depressed because, you know, we put a lot into a lot of stock into that win. We really we needed that to go well. You know what I mean? We we expected to be able to beat him, obviously. It was, you know. In our mind, it was a foregone conclusion. It was just, we have to stop him, in a sense. We were thinking we had to beat him to the point of, you know, where he couldn't finish. Because we knew how difficult it would be to get a decision. But we figured also that if I, you know, did the business and and beat him so bad that it's just impossible for them to give him, you know, give him the decision, even if they tried to make it look better, you know, they, we would still get it. But, you know, tearing the bicep, tendon and all of those things kind of threw the situation for a loop so we had to try to just you know perform as best we could before uh hearing what we knew was going to go the other way if we didn't get him out of there. so it was a little depressing even though you know what's going to happen you st- it still hurts when it happens you know what i'm saying so i was a little down but quickly you know i realized exactly what i had done you know what i mean you realized you just beat a quote-unquote elite-level fighter with one hand, even if you know, the decision, you know, the decision didn't go your way. You know, most people understood, and most people who really wanted to believe the truth saw what happened. So, the depression quickly turned into confidence. <laughs> so, and once that happened, the only issue then became, well, uh, I have an injury, a legitimate injury that legitimately is going to take me what well, what I thought because what I was initially told it was going to take three months to for everything to go through and for it to be healed. So I'm thinking, oh, three months, I'll be back at it. So I was hoping, you know, to get right back in because I had so, so much confidence after that fight, realizing just how much I was able to do and then how good I felt in there performing because we had such a great camp and things just fell into place. So I was so happy and so excited. So, but like once I realized after the rehab, st- you know, stage had went through and, I was now getting back to where they said, okay, now you can kind of go to the gym and shake out a little bit. And I was like, well, I thought after three months I could actually go back into it as long as I like do some rehab exercise and stuff like that. I should be fine. He was like, oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> My surgeon told me, me, he said, oh, no, no, I don't want you to think that you can just go back full-fledged. Absolutely not. In fact, you're still not really 100% clear to do any of the things that you did freely before. Like if you wanted to go Actually, I, I wasn't even allowed to go into the gym yet, like really go into the gym and actually work out. The only thing I could do is just go to my rehabs and take my and do my rehab. That was it. And I could only, and that was what until the went from month, uh, third month once I was cleared to you know where I'm you know able to use my arm now after they after everything healed up and all. Um, then from then to like about the fourth or fifth month, I was doing rehab. And I couldn't, I, I mean, I couldn't, st- I still, even even with the rehab and even all of that, I, c- I still wasn't allowed to do anything. Like, I couldn't throw punches. I couldn't hit the bag. I couldn't hit any of that stuff. I couldn't shoot the basketball, anything. Because it was a fear of it being a little too early. And then, of course, you can tear the tendon again. And then we'll be back to square one. So I took their advice. And he said, another three months and we'll check up. And I'm saying, wait, another three months and then we'll check. And he was like, yeah, you know, we got to make sure that it's still, you know, continuing to heal and everything starts to, you know, mend properly and we don't have to do anything and go back in. 
So I was like, all right. So I, as much as it was hard, is the hardest one of the hardest things for me to do is stay up out of the gym, you know, boxing or otherwise. I did it, and I went back in then, and he said I still wasn't really medically cleared to go back and perform my normal thing. He said we're going to give it another month or two, and then we're going to have our final follow up, and then you know you'll be good to go ahead and get back started. Well, all of these things were while this stuff was all going on, um, we were still trying to figure out when I was going to be ready because we were trying to get then, and I had met with. You know, Kathy and, and, and the team there, and we'll let her know that I was interested in going down the cruiserweight. In fact, we were actually planning on it. And would it be okay if she started to look for opportunities at Cruiser? And, you know, they acted really excited and they were excited about it. They really thought that it was a good thing for me. They was like, man, you're going to do so well as a cruiserweight and blah, blah, blah. So I was, you know, excited about the opportunity to go down. <clears throat> and I always wanted to fight at a you know, fight guys that were my size. So I was there an opportunity. Now it's just like, it's not going to be, I'm going to be so undersized fighting guys that are in like two weight classes above me. You know what I mean? I'm going to actually be fighting guys my size. So now it's, you know, we're matching skill versus skill and, you know, all of those other things. And it's not going to be, you know, I'm, that, that I'm, that I got to fight, you know, an uphill battle just because of their size. You understand what I'm saying? So, um, so I did it, but I'm still, not necessarily medically clear, but we knew that it was coming to a close where the, the, the this whole thing was uh, going to be back to normal. So I think it was maybe February or, or March, and it was a little earlier than it was you know originally prescribed that, uh, that I was going to be back at it. But they they had me come in, and I talked to you know Dr. Dodson, who was my surgeon, and uh, he told me, oh, man, everything looks great. Strength level is pretty good. Everything's you know loose. It's not... You know, is it giving? He asked me about any pain. I said no. Everything feels great, and so I was back. You know what I mean? I felt like I was back. I was able to go start training again. And as soon as that happened, you know, they had already been looking for opportunities for me for cruiser. And there was only a few things that I had, a few stipulations, because we trained in a gym where there's a lot of fighters at that point, at that time. You know, we have some, we had some really good, talented guys that were around the cruiser weight limit. And I was saying, okay. And and funny enough, obviously, you know, us being in the same area, we were kind of messing with the same promoters. And it was Jay Russell Peltz was also helping main events out with Kathy Duva and also his fighters and her fighters. We were all kind of intertwined. And there was a few guys that I said, OK, let's just leave these guys alone and go other places and see if we can find better fighters because it's pointless. I don't want to fight someone that I'm literally sharing a gym with. You know what I mean? That was one of the things I one of the things that I had mentioned. Also with Steve Cunningham as well. It was it was uh, Garrett Wilson and Steve Cunningham. Those are the two guys I like. Us kind of avoid those. Not that I don't. You know, I don't think I could beat those guys. But it just it's just like it's a weird conflict. Like let's just move past them. No sooner than I said that, the first thing they did was say, "Oh well, we we got somebody, and it's Garrett Wilson." And I'm like, "Yo, I just told you I was one of the first things i said when i walked into the office when we started talking about opponents like that was one of the guys that i did not want to be on the radar i know him really well i know his manager we're good we're really cool we sparred together we've trained together i, I get it friends fight each other all the time in boxing and all but in this situation it's not necessarily it's not necessary he didn't have any 
thing that I needed from him. I get it. They say, oh, well, you know, it's just a fight. It gets you kind of into the rankings more. I'm like, yo, I was already in the top 15 in the rankings just entering the division. Why the hell do I need to fight this kid? You know what I'm saying? Like, I don't need to. And funny thing, funny enough, the guy, his manager, Rice, called me. He said, hey. He's like, man, yo, man, they, 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 come on, man. They don't don't fight my man. I tried to – I really don't – because he didn't want me to fight Gary because he knew what happened. He knew I would, I would beat Gary. You know what I'm saying? No disrespect to Gary. I mean, it was not to say that he just didn't want that kind of fight to happen. He just didn't want it. You know, we're in the same gym. We're basically similar – like, not necessarily teammates. You know what I mean? But we've worked together so many times. It's almost like, yo – could you go someplace else, do a little bit of legwork, do a little bit of work and try to find someone else? And at first I was about to just OK it because I didn't feel like going through the whole conversation. Like, you don't want to fight this guy. Is there something wrong with him? And, and, and you kind of worried about him. It's like, no, don't don't try to do that emotional shit with me is what I was basically going to say. Like, I'm not an emotional guy when it comes to this sport. This sport is a sport. I enjoy it and things like that, and but I'm not. I don't allow like you could trash talk me and talk all this crap if you want. The reality of it is, we're still going to go in the ring and box. And if I'm better than you on tonight, I'm a win. So it has, it has nothing to do with it. So don't try to convince me to try to fight someone based on emotional reasons. And the thing that I stood, I said, still stood. And I was like, look, that's just somebody I do not need to fight. You know what I mean? And I, and I kept in, and, and the guy kept calling me. He's like, man, come on, man, please, man. Don't, don't let them, don't let them put up, put up, don't pit them, let them pit us against each other, man. Don't do that. Don't do that. So in order to deal with the whole thing and just let it go, I just said, look, let's just eliminate that guy out of it and try to find someone else. So in saying that, that kind of upset them because they had a cheap, and I'm going to say, I'm going to say it just like that. They had a cheap, easy, matchup that they could put on as a filler for the show and it's a good possible fight and it's a showcase for me as a cruiserweight and it kind of upset them and pissed them off a little that I didn't want to take that particular fight. So instead, because they're angry and because now I don't know if they want to work with me anymore or whatever, they say, okay, well now, all right, we're going to look for another fight. And I don't know if they already had this kid on deck but he was uh, relatively unknown here in the States. I had no idea who he was. And they told me with, I, I, I think it was maybe in June and we were going to fight in August, the beginning of August. Right. So they told me in, at the end of June, like almost first week of July, almost you're going to fight this kid. Cause they were still looking for, you know, opponents and stuff for me or whatever and they said they found one they had a little idea about him they literally sent me i want to say one round of him of him fight one round not even i don't even know if it was a whole round might have been like uh, two or three minutes of a round i mean two two minutes or a minute and a half or something like that of a round of him of him fighting this tall guy and i'm like what the hell is this? and i'm sitting there like what the hell is this like why are but in my mind as a fighter, I'm like, well, he doesn't really look that special. But in the reality, when I was watching him, I was like, yo, he didn't actually look that bad. Southpaw, he seemed like a small guy. So I was just out the boxing from the outside. It ain't going to be too hard. You know, the confidence started speaking, like, before I even knew, especially the confidence I had after I beat Tomas like I did. So I was like, oh, yeah, man, whatever. You could put King Kong in there with me, and I'll, I feel like I'll be able to handle him. Well, the, the, the clip we got, 
that was all we had, right? Then they had, then we went and looked him up and found some other stuff on the internet of him. You know, some uh, not sparring, but some um, some um, some fights, a couple of fights he had, and it was actually a full fight here, and then there was like another fight, and we watched only a few rounds of it, and I said he, he looks all right, but it doesn't. He's fighting against. Look who he's fighting against. You know what I mean? Not really giving credit to the guy who he was fighting. It was whether he was a good fighter or not, and um, just like ah, I'm gonna beat him. You know, kind of the same thing I did when I was looking at tapes of Vec. So, uh, like I, I thought about it a little more. We started talking about it then last year. Started, you know, looked at some video of him. Steve obviously looked at the video and was like, man, I think you might want to look at this dude a little more. He seems like he has a little bit more than what initially, you know, we thought. Because I'm looking at how he's moving and he's doing this, he's doing that. So we watched the, we watched that little clip again. And they said, let's look up that other stuff again. All right, so we start trying to look up stuff. All of a sudden, his videos were gone. They removed all his videos. Like, I couldn't see anything. Like, I had no, nothing to base him off of anymore. Like, I, you know, you watch something real quick, you don't really pay attention. You're not really thinking about it. You like, ah. You forget kind of what was going on. You ain't really pay attention much. And now that there's no video, we can't even really prepare. We already heard the kid was a little shorter, so that's already something that's a little different than what we're used to facing anyway. Being that obviously we're fighting at a little a lower weight class, but he's also shorter. He's like five, seven, or eight. So it's like okay, uh, all right. So now I gotta figure out how I'm gonna get sparring for a guy like that. Um, and funny enough, Garrett who's about the same exact size as that kid, but Garrett's not his, he, he doesn't have the same style at all. He's a come forward, like big punching guy, but he's, he, but he is short and compact, but he just doesn't have the ability that this kid has, even from the video we watched the time. So we're like, Ugh. all right, we'll spar with Garrett. So, so we spar with Garrett and it went exactly like it always went. You know what I mean? Pretty much controlled it. I mean, it was good work, but you know, I controlled it. And then it's like, that's really not going to help me for this guy. This guy seems like he's a little faster. He's not, you know, he's pretty decent skill-wise. And he's a southpaw. Garrett's not a southpaw. So we had to find, we were looking around, and the only person we could find that was a southpaw in, in somewhat short notice was uh, Amir Mansour, who was a, who was a southpaw. But he's a southpaw heavyweight who's my size and, you know, my height and everything. And he's not fast. Well, at least he's not fast in the way I need him to be fast. You understand what I'm saying? So it's like I'm in there working with him and, you know, it's going pretty smoothly for me. And I'm feeling like well, I feel great. But in my back of my mind, I knew this is not really what I'm going to be facing necessarily. Yes, he was a southpaw, but. He wasn't like a fast, really, really skilled southpaw. You know what I mean? So it really wasn't what I needed. So then we had another option. And we'd be like, okay, well, there's Jesse Hart. But Jesse Hart is six foot three. And not only six foot three, he 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 also he boxes from the outside, but he's not a southpaw either. You understand what I'm saying? So it's like that's not really gonna work. So I I'll just spar with him to sharpen my eyes because he's a lighter weight guy and we even have video of that online now and it was fun it was cool but it wasn't what i needed then because we couldn't find any other sparring we had to spar other two other heavyweight guys 
And one, I can't remember what the one, the one guy we scored, but I know the other one was Travis, Travis Coffey. And Travis could f- turn southpaw, right? He could fight from the southpaw side. But he's also 6'3". And he's also nowhere near as fast as a guy like Machuna. So it's completely different than what we were expecting. Now, granted, I felt great. I was doing good in sparring. I was feeling, you know, feeling sharp. Even though I was dealing with a lot of craziness in my life at the time, I still felt like, uh, you know, considering what's going on and, and, and different things like that. I mean, I, I had an issue with my, with my car, had an issue with my home at the time that, you know, caused me to, at times not where not where I couldn't even go into the, in, go into the actual boxing gym. I had to train at uh, a fitness gym here in the States over, it's called LA fitness. I had to train there some days because we couldn't get to the gym because my car was, you know, out of commission and, and my house was in, 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 in a bad way. And, you know, with, in the financially and all of these things I was dealing with and also not being able to train properly, but I still felt good. I still was confident. Fast forward through the camp. I mean, everything went, you know, as smooth as it possibly could have considering the things that happened, uh, that I mentioned, uh, we, have a meeting, I think, with the with the, the main events people in there, and we're talking like, man, we really couldn't get a lot of video on this guy. And he's like, oh, what do you care about that? You know, just go in there and knock him out and, and take 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 control of his division. It's the easy fight. And they said it kind of dismissing, like just dismissing this kid, period, in a way that was a little bit alarming, though. Because you think like, well, you know, I mean, even though they, they, they they're trying to talk confident to me like they think i'm just gonna go and wipe this kid out they're still kind of sounding like you know it's like not even, don't even talk about it. you know what i mean like they're just they just kind of want me just to go and just get it over with type thing you know what i mean so i i felt like it might have been a little salt in the game and maybe they were a little upset about obviously the fact that i didn't want to fight that i didn't want to fight gary and different people had told me and i think uh bashir you know he had conversations with him i think that he had let me know too that they weren't happy about that so we just had to go in there and just handle business and see where we went from there. And so we're in the dressing room, getting warm up, getting ready to go out. And I felt the nerves, but I didn't feel the nerves quite like I did before. You know, like I said, in my mind, I'm feeling like I'm fighting a guy my size. So it's not going to be, you know, the same kind of thing. And it's pretty much going to be a comfortable situation for me. And I really felt that way going into the fight. But I go in. First round, just want to see what he has, see if he's, you know, anything special. You know what I mean? Um, he looks, you know, cut up nice. You know, he's, he's the, he has the build, the body beautiful type. Um, but that doesn't mean anything, you know what I mean, to me. that In fact, I was looking at him as to be a little bit, you know, even though I saw that he was skilled and all, I'm thinking like, you know, those, those muscles could slow you down, make you tired. So I'm thinking like that. But he was pretty athletic. And I found that out pretty quick and me not being as sharp as I needed to be and not having the proper sparring in front of me to prepare me for what I was facing showed pretty early in the fight right away. And it was when I, it was like a struggle to reach him. You know what I'm saying? Like he knew that the, all the pressure was on me. And this is one thing in boxing when you're fighting somewhat at home and you're fighting the guy who's visiting, who's coming over and you're supposed to just dominate. There's, that, that puts a great deal of pressure on the fighter, on, on, on that fighter, which we're supposed to be able to deal with pressure, and there's no doubt about it. 
and I was expecting to be able to deal with it. But when you have no clue what you're facing and it's something different than you've faced your entire career, I've only fought maybe one or two southpaws in my entire career. Um, and this is at a, a different weight class that I wasn't prepared for. Now, I'm not trying to make an excuse of why it didn't work out. What I'm trying to tell you is why it didn't work out, not that there's an excuse for it. Because no matter what the situation is, you've got to make, you know, make the best of whatever situation you have going on. You know what I mean? The house and all that that, that, was, that, that happened to me, the, the, the car being repossessed, all of those things, it sucked. And I had to deal with are parts of which that's just life. If you're a, if you're a professional, you got to be able to handle those things in a professional manner and do what you do what your job is. And my job was to fight. And don't get me wrong, I I tried, you know what I mean. But I didn't make the necessary adjustments. And through the course of the fight, you kind of see that in my my mind just was 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 not there. It was wavering because I was not only in I'm I'm in the fight. Don't get me wrong, I'm paying attention. But things come to your mind when things aren't going well in the ring. And a fighter and any other fighter would be able to attest to this. Like if you're having a rough time and things aren't going your way, in my mind anyway, stuff starts to creep in. Like, damn, man, what am I going to do if this don't work out? Or, you know, oh, man, the car this and I need money or I need this. And all of these things start playing a real part in your performance because it it's on your mind things are on your mind nothing should be on your mind you should be completely invested in what you're doing you should be thinking about that guy in front of you and that guy on nothing else you shouldn't be thinking about what your wife is doing you shouldn't be thinking about what 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 this person thinks if your performance doesn't go uh, none of that you should only be thinking about what's happening in front of you you know what i mean and 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 for you should be there to win you know what i mean <laughs> and, and that's what's important at that moment but for whatever, for whatever reason, my mind was wavering, and obviously there's a whole lot of other reasons why. But um, and he just he was he was there to win. He wasn't there to 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 just survive. He was there to do whatever it took for him to win. And one of the things he did was he literally laid on his back foot. I mean, he sat on that back foot deep, and he literally forced me to bring the action. Because another thing is, too, when you have pressure on you to be dominant, well, then you try to go be dominant. And with a person that fights with a style that he fights, who's a sharp boxer, who's sharper than you that night, it forces you out of your own element, something something that you're not used to doing and being overly aggressive. Even though I can be aggressive and walk with my hands up and off, his style was made for a guy who was going to do something like that. Like I could try to walk him down, but if I was going to walk him down, what I should have done is just made it a rough house affair, just like roughed him up, beat him down. Now I realize, you know, after it happened, after the fact, years after that, the best way it would have been to just be busier, you know, bump him, use my strength because I was stronger than him, whether I looked at it or not. And um, just 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 put him in a position where he couldn't, you know, like couldn't couldn't find his range. And just make him do things that he wasn't prepared to do. But, of course, I'm supposed to dominate. And I'm supposed to make him look like an amateur when it was just the exact opposite almost. So, you know, I'm dealing with that. Going back to the corner and Bashir's like, yo, man, got to find a way to do Got to rough this guy up. If you can't just, if you can't touch from the outside like you want to, go in there and rough the guy up. Get up in his chest. Do what you got to do. And I did something later in the fight where I kind of bumped him off and then threw like a left hook. 
and I could see it bothered him bad. You know what I mean? Because obviously my power at the cruiserweight division is you know, a lot bigger of a puncher in the cruiserweight than I would be as a heavy. So it, I could tell by his eyes that it bothered him. And Bashir is like, I saw what you did. You got to do stuff like that. You got to. He was in my ear pushing me to do more. But in my mind, I mean, I'm hearing him, but I'm just thinking of this other stuff, man. All this other unimportant stuff at that moment. Like, there's nothing more important than what's going on right there. That's my livelihood. That's what I'm supposed to be doing. That's what I'm supposed to be taking care of at the moment. That's just going to get me more money. And it's just, and I don't know why, but my mind just wasn't into it. Not like it should have been. Like I said, it's no excuse because as a professional, you got to do what you got to do. But my, my mind wasn't where it needed to be. And he beat me, fair and square. He, he, I don't, I don't know how, by how much, and he didn't dominate me. You know what I mean? He just won more rounds. He did what it was necessary, what it was necessary to win the fight. You know what I mean? He didn't look as overly impressive doing it. He was, it was impressive because of who he did it to, not because of what he did. Because of what he did, if I would have been in the right mindset, I could have done what I needed to do to win that fight, and that's just me. You know what I'm saying? And just make it ugly and, and start bombing it. But I didn't do it. I just, I tried to stick with what I was doing in the beginning. It wasn't working. And just, you know, what happens is as a fighter, when things aren't going your way, is another thing that can happen is you get stuck. Almost throwing the same combination at the person and you know it's not going to work, but your mind just gets stuck on something. And you just can't figure out what it is that you need to do to change it. And it happens. You know what I mean? It, it 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 really does happen. I've seen it happen to other fighters, and I'm like, damn, he's probably probably in the same position I was in, in a couple of different fights I've had. And I've had fights where I've done that and I've won, but this wasn't one of them. And you know, I paid for it. What I regret about the whole about the ordeal too was the fact that not so much that I, I that I that I didn't take the fight with 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 Garrett, but because I felt like I stood up for, for what I believed in and that, and that's what you should do, no matter what the situation is. But I regret taking this fight because I wasn't in the right state of mind. Things, none of the stuff that happened in, in, in preparation for this particular fight was what we needed. We didn't have the proper at all sparring for this fight. The car, we, we lo- I lost my car at that time, so I couldn't get to the gym on certain days whenever my whenever Bashir couldn't couldn't make it down and uh, he was supposed to come down more on sparring days and you know uh, you know uh, every other day or something like that he would come down because he was coming from Newark and I'm in South Jersey um but when days he couldn't come we couldn't go so we would have to I would have to literally get a cab and go to LA Fitness to train and this is the kind of thing that was happening there was times that we couldn't spar because we couldn't get to the gym and other times we would just have to do pads with Bashir at LA Fitness while I'm getting prepared for a, a, a top level guy, sharp guy in a different in a different weight class. And like I said, once again, I'm not going to say that I'm trying to make an excuse for the performance. I'm just giving reasons of why these things happen. And for other fighters who have been in this situation, they can attest. Like I'm, I didn't say any of these things at the end of that flight. I didn't want to take any of his shine away. Because I felt like no matter what the situation was, he beat me. And if I'm if I'm like that, I should have beat him anyway. You know what I mean? And I guess I wasn't, especially not at that moment. So he he won. I wanted to give credit to you know where it was due, and he he won. He, he bested me that night. 
And right after that, I felt so horrible. That was probably worse than Klitschko. I felt worse than Klitschko. I was thinking about like 100% retirement. Like I was like, man, I ain't doing this no more. I ain't putting myself through this crap. You know what I mean? Like with all of the things that I've done and all of the things that I've been through in this game, I've never, ever been that guy that people say, man, I wish I could be in his position as a fighter. Like, I don't think I've ever been that guy. I've always been the B side with the exception of one or two fights as a, as, as a elite level fighter. I've always been the B side. Very rarely have I ever gone in the guy who was supposed to win as a, as an elite level guy, as, as a guy, that, you know, when I got to, to, you know, to, to when I was fighting the Pavekins of the world, stuff like that, like I was always the B side. So no, I was never in an envi- in, enviable position by it for, for any other fighter. It was that you, I had to always go on the road and do the impossible to win all the time. I think the only fight when I was with Dan Goosen that I was the I, A-side for was, well, was, there was a few. It was three. One, and one of them, he wasn't even a part of. It was on a, on a Blue Horizon card. But the other two was, uh, or no, there was three. The, it was um, The Rossi rematch was one. Yeah, I forgot about that. Yeah, I forgot about that. I, I was the... That was only because I had beat him before. Yeah. Because best believe if he was if he was a if he was a new guy or like even what like he was the years past when we fought, I would have been the B side then. I was the B side when I fought him and I had twenty seven fights when I fought him the first time. Like, are you kidding me? But this is just how it is. They just ne- they, they you know what I, me and Tony Thompson always said is like they don't like us, man. They hate us. You know what I mean? So we gotta go out there and we gotta beat their people. We gotta beat their guys. Because they don't like us. You know they don't like us. We, we say that to each other all the time. You know what I mean? Because we know that we're not the the, the, the poster boys. Like we, We're not the guys that they want to put out there because I'm too small. Pause. <laughs> I'm not the big six-foot-six body beautiful guy. And Tony Thompson's the big guy, but he's not the body beautiful guy. So they don't really – and he's not a big puncher. And our styles don't really mesh for what they want to put out there. We don't look the part enough. You know what I'm saying? And that's really what it turned out to be. Not so much that I don't look the part enough like I'm an ugly guy or anything. I'm not trying to say that, even though I am. But, but what I am trying to say is that I don't look the part in a way I'm not menacing. Like Even Mike Tyson. Mike Tyson was 5'10". But Mike Tyson had a menacing look to him. Shredded up. Strong looking. Big punching guy. You understand what I'm saying? Regardless of how small he was. He was a menacing looking guy. I'm a boxer. It always smiles and always happy and never talks crap at the at the at the weigh-ins and stuff in the press conference. I, how are they gonna sell me? The only way I can get on top is if I win. I'm like John Ruiz. You know what I'm saying? I'm the John Ruiz. I'm a different kind of John Ruiz. You know what I mean? Like it's not that I'm quiet overly. Like, I'll talk, I speak well and all that, but um I can't I, I just I don't sell it I don't sell the fights enough for them. So they just didn't want me to. They just they just want me out of there. Trust me, they wanted me out of there. I could tell you. I don't know if I said this on there, but I but I but I but um um Jim Lampley basically said I'm an unexciting fight, unexciting fighter to watch. You know, of all the heavyweights in the in in at the time, I was one. Of, I was the most unexciting one. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? So nobody really wanted to see me. So no matter how good I was. And I was as talented as anybody in the division at any point. 
uh, around that time. And, you know, they just push, push you to the back burner. It's, it's unfortunate, but that's what happened. And it's crazy how, you know, this is three fights removed from the Klitschko fight for the world titles, you know, uh, biggest yeah. payday by a mile. And, um, you know, mm-hmm. you're in a position where you couldn't really get yourself to the gym and uh, no one was able to, to take you, which is uh, extremely sad. Yep. Um, let me ask yep. you as well, Eddie. Obviously, you had two fights with main events. Uh, you know, yep. both were losses to Adamek and to uh, and, and to Machuno on paper anyway. Um, mm-hmm. Do you feel like they... Even, I mean, it's obviously not their fault that you lost these fights, you know. Do you feel like they did a right. bad job with you, or did they do an okay job, or do you put anyone at fault for the way they promoted you for those two fights? They didn't. Honestly, I felt like they promoted me the same as any other promoter would have. Mm. And I'm not trying to say that that's an excuse for how they did it, because you can make a guy like me more marketable. I'm good at talking. You know what I mean? I could, I mean, I, you know, I can talk, I guess. You know what I mean? I, I can sell things. I can, I can, if you, if you need me to do something in particular, I can do it. You know what I mean? I, I, I'm, I'm not the hardest person to look at. You know what I'm saying? It's like, there's different ways of selling things. You know what I mean? And, and I don't think they just, I don't think they wanted to do it. I don't think they were looking for a ready, a ready made situation that was, was going to bring eyes to their, to the, to, you know, bring money to their, to their table. That's all they were interested in. They weren't looking at, oh, we're getting Eddie Chambers as a project to to turn him into something where they had to do the work. No, they didn't want to do no work. I don't, I'm, and I'm not hating on any promoter. I mean, I'm not trying to say that these guys don't do their job. There's a lot of them that do, but the majority of them that I've dealt with, they don't want to have to do a lot of legwork. They don't want to have to do a lot of selling. They want you to sell yourself. They have the publishers and all that, and the publishers, they'll work the hell out of those publishers to do certain things. But the reality of it is they don't want a project, especially if I already have a good name. I have a, had a pretty good name already. So they're expecting my name to carry weight, but it, what they didn't realize is that you're taking a guy who they don't want to watch. He's great, but you don't want to watch him. You understand what I'm saying? It's like Floyd Mayweather without the without the undefeated record and without the money mantra and all that put you know what I'm saying? So it's like me as a fighter, great. People will be like, you know, give me him. Like if, if you could put me in a lineup with a group of other fighters that are all good fighters, I'm going to probably be the most talented one of them all. And I'm not saying that because I'm like, oh, I'm the best in the world. I'm not trying to be cocky or anything, but the reality of it is that that is true. Problem then becomes, though, is how do you sell that? Because if I'm not knocking everybody out, they don't care about that. And, and if I'm not like got a Kool-Aid smile or nothing like that, then they don't want to hear that either. You know what I'm saying? It don't matter even how you look. It's just like you got to be, you got to have something that can sell. Chris Ariola, they were selling him, and I'm on the same thing with him. You mean it's a, I can talk, and I ain't disrespecting Chris and saying he can't talk, but I can talk better than that. I can sell some shit if you need me to sell it. But the reality of it is, he curse on TV. He's Mexican American. He got he got people behind him. I, I didn't. I'm an African American athlete that's that's talented and good and athletic. That is not special here. That is as normal as walking outside and breathing. And I mean I hate to say that, but it's the truth. 
as as as, as normal as anything. You know what I mean? So <laughs> it's it's not it's not something you can sell. It's not like oh, if I was a if I was a six foot six white kid that was gifted athletically and, and knocked everybody out, even like wild. But a big white kid, oh my god, I would have been on every cereal box on earth. You know what I mean? I would have been all over the place, but that's just not the case. And I'm trying to make this a racial thing. I'm just trying to tell you that it's too common what I am. You understand what I'm saying? And it's not going to sell. So when they got me here, it was like, you have to be the greatest of all time in order to become anything. And that's real, Joe. That is 100% real. If I'm not Muhammad Ali right now reincarnated, then I'm not going to be I'm not going to be anything. If I didn't take his life force to put that into me and me become Ali, then I'm not going I'm not going to be elite. People ain't going to remember me. And I just I guess I just didn't have it. So, even though I'm the one of the most talented out there, bah, he's just common. You know, sweep him to the back of the put him in the back of the bus or whatever. Keep keep, keep people where people don't see him. Don't put him in and and for God's sakes, if the, the do not put your prospect in there with that kid. Don't put him in there with him because he'll he'll expose them and then he'll take their their opportunity. You know what I'm saying? That's what I was. But you know it's unfortunate, but this is the game. Yeah, and there and there we go. That is the uh that is that is the lockdown knockdown this week. Obviously it's uh it's it's another tough one to look back on. Um you know, Eddie's gone into the reasons yeah. behind this. A uh, lot of unfortunate things, both financially, promotionally, and um, mm-hmm. in the actual fight itself, obviously. Um, yeah, so next time, it's positive stuff, Eddie. Next time it's positive stuff. Yes. Uh, you decide Thank to, God. <laughs> you decide to get on a plane and come over to the UK, which we'll get on to <laughs> next week. And um, I like how you say I decided to get on the plane. Like, like that's a big deal, too. <laughs> you know that and um yeah you came over here obviously and um scored the first knockout for um oof i think it was almost 6 years you hadn't scored a knockout for and then uh, you were you were yeah. over here stopping uh, i think what was it all but one opponent in the end over here yeah which and i should have stopped him too yeah but we'll get on and to I'm, not gonna, we'll, we'll get on I, I'm not going to i'm not going i'm not going to tell you the excuses for that but it's not excuses it's reasons okay <laughs> okay well there we have it like i say that is that is uh the fight gone over there um to be so matuno back in august 2013 next time we'll be discussing uh when eddie like i say came over to the uk linked up with 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 the furies lived with them as well i'm sure there's a couple stories in there um you know peter fury uh you know who you got to know during the the the, the the training camp in France when Tyson Fury had you over preparing for David Hay the fight that never happened and um, yeah, yeah it was that was in Belgium actually. in Belgium that one yes. that that, camp, yeah, that was in Belgium yeah yeah my apologies so in Belgium and then obviously no, okay. you're uh, you know you, you stayed in contact with the guys ended up over here and um, you know got some momentum behind you again so that is exciting I'm looking forward to that and that will be next sure. time so um, I, I guess that'll probably be next week. If it's not next week, it'll yeah. be it'll be very soon yeah. for sure. But yeah, that is everything. That is the lockdown knockdown for this week. Uh, we'll be back with that 
and uh, the the much happier times perhaps uh, next week or the week after we'll get onto it soon uh, that's everything though that's all the talking we did the uh, the news part which we kicked off with then we brought in the um the the preview part which was just one fight of course then we spoke to angelo leo the first guest on this week's podcast in part two, we did the lockdown knockdown, which you've just heard. It's now time to welcome our second and final guest on this week's podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome the new British light heavyweight champion. It is, of course, Mr. Craig Richards. Craig, welcome back on the show, my man. Thank you, thank you. Always. Thank you for welcoming me back. Always a pleasure. Always a pleasure having you on, Craig. So again, we last spoke back in September. At the time, you were looking forward to November 14th. The fight got pushed back, of course, um, you know, to to December 18th. Uh, Just sum it up for me, man. What a brilliant, brilliant win. And um, yeah, everyone knows about you now domestically if they didn't already know. Boy, oh boy. Come on, they have to know. (laughs) <laughs> I'm joking. Um, yeah, it was a yeah good win. Um, yeah, a good win puts me in that mix now. Um, it was a long time coming. It's just glad that I finally got the win and um, crowned the British champion to close one chapter of my career. And again, I want to ask. Um, you know, you've had an up and down twelve months. I know that you were ill at one point. The pullouts of this fight, in particular, I mean, boy, the amount of times it got pushed back, pushed forward, whatever. Um, you know, you've you've finally got it got it over the line, and and a brilliant, emphatic win. Has it sunk in yet? You're British champion. Um, it's getting there. It's getting there. You know, like uh, sometimes we're up and down. Sometimes we're like, I'm actually the British champion, like. <laughs> but sometimes I'm just like, oh, what's next? You know. Um, yeah, it's there. It's there. I'm just happy. I'm pleased. And again, um, we saw that that excellent picture that Peter Sims, who I think uh, is a blinding photographer as well, if he fancies taking that up after uh... after boxing training. Um, you're, you're laying in bed. You've got you've <laughs> <laughs> you've got you've got the uh, the strap and uh, that that pillow as well, the spider pillow. Um, I'm still. I don't. I don't care what yeah. you say. I'm still convinced that it was staged, man. It looked too good. <laughs> Never. I was. I know. Do you know what? My natural look. Just you know. I I woke up like this. Look. Think about it. A couple hours after, I just thought like in the morning. I only had two hours sleep. He walked in, caught me, took the picture, woke it up. You know, it was just one of them moments. You're a cute sleeper, Craig. <laughs> I am. No, I get told this all the time. I can't help that. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Um. You know, if I even have a scratch on me, I'd not say a couple hours after I fought for the British title. That's what I'm now saying. That's, that's what I'm saying. Thing. It almost looked like you was asleep the night before and they photoshopped the belt in. Ah! <laughs> we saw we said when we got back, we said, you wouldn't believe that you just fought for a British title. You said, you ain't got a scratch on you. You're not one bit tired. You're just there buzzing around with not even a mark on you. I was like, yeah, it's true. I should have had more of a stakeout, really. There we go. And, um... Yeah, I want to ask as well, do you feel somewhat, I want to say, proven now at British level? Obviously, there was that hiccup with Buglioni. If, if if people don't know the behind-the-scenes stuff surrounding that, then, you know, there's people that don't know. They look at that and go, oh, he lost at British title level. You know, Buglioni weren't really, you know, he didn't really surpass British title level. And now you've gone out there, smashed the British champion... Um, and proved yourself, you know, you're, you're at least British level and potentially, you know, much more than that, the way you dealt with this guy. Yeah, yeah, of course, because if that's like the guy leading the pack at the time and 
I didn't go through much trouble and got the job done and got the KO. Um, it shows what level I'm at, really. Um, but yeah, just sometimes about proving to yourself and keep pushing your further goals. People in the boxing can be fickle. One minute they say you're the next big thing, next thing they say you're just a hype job. So I don't really, it's not a point to prove to them. It's more for myself and my career and keep progressing and moving forward. And also, uh, Shakan really came out of his show in the build-up. You know, he, he had some excellent trash-talking skills, uh, you know, whether it was on, I don't know, on Zoom or whatever it was that you were speaking on when you did that e-press conference thing. But yeah. he, he was, you know, it was quite entertaining. I've never really seen him, you know, act like that. He tried to sell the fight. Did it make the win even more sweeter, man, the way the way you put him away? 100%. I start to think he believes what he says. I'm slow, I'm this, I'm that. Um, I'll struggle. I'm not fast enough. If I want to box him, he'll outbox me. If we want to stand and trade, I'll come worst off. And we showed. I outboxed him. And when we trade, I definitely didn't come worst off. So it was nice to just prove to him that everything he said was just... And everything his team obviously probably told him was all just a lie to boost his confidence. And I thought that's what happens sometimes. Fighters get told things so they can go in there confident and they start believing it and believing their team and I just like to just shut the whole system down sometimes and you had some comebacks from him as well I think you uh, didn't you say that he probably goes to Nando's and has no spice on his chicken <laughs> ah! is that what you said you know I, I... You know, I said, no, I said to him, I think we had a few Nando's bits, but I'm sure I told him I'll even take him out to Nando's, get him a spicy chicken um, after I win and take the belt. But it was all fun and games. I did say to him that I'll hit him, I'll hurt him, his leg will go Bambi, then I'll knock him out and so forth. You know, it was, it was all part fun and, fun and games, although everything I did say did happen, but it was more just, um, I just enjoy these moments, you know, entertainment business, but when we start switching off from Thursday night towards Friday, Friday night comes the, the fun and games end and it's a serious time. And did he surprise well, you? Well, in that case, it was... Sorry, Craig, what'd you say? Sorry, go on. Yeah, in that case, it was the Thursday night. We had to switch off because obviously we fought on the Friday. Yeah, yeah. And did did he surprise you in any way? Because like I say, I didn't think he'd get up from that shot in the fourth. Um, and he came back to his credit in, in the two rounds after that, I felt. Um, I wouldn't say he surprised me. I knew he was going to come. I knew he was going to fight hard. He was unbeaten. He believed in himself. He really didn't want to lose to me. The London City, Birmingham City was watching, and, and then the general public was watching. It was a big fight, so I knew he would have the will to win. So I knew until you put him out, put him out, he'll keep coming. And I knew he's trained very hard. He's fit, so his recovery will probably be a little bit better on him. I knew that I'd probably take him out later rather than early. So I wasn't too surprised when he got up. I was surprised that he took the shots very well after that and pulled himself together um, quite well the next round. Um, but that's because I took my foot off the gas because I didn't really want to go and burn myself out. I just went back to my boxing and waited and bided my time. And see when, you know, you look back at that Buglioni fight to now. It's been a long, long time. Do you think that you've matured in a way where perhaps if this would have happened, this exact thing would have happened, you'd have boxed Shakan back then, you'd have, you'd have hurt him, you'd have had him down in the fourth. Do you think you would perhaps would have gone gung-ho in the fifth and sixth and not been patient enough? Do you think perhaps the way you've come on has, you know, you've matured as a fighter and that is why you didn't, you know, you didn't go for the kill like many people thought you'd do? Yeah, I've matured a lot in the fight. I've learned 
I've learned not to get that my emotion. I learned a lot from grudge matches from that Sterling making errors in that fight. I learned from that fight specifically more in the grudge match. Jake Ball, I was kind of having my head together with me in that grudge match. Uh, the Buglion fight, I feel like there was just a lot of doubts in my head in the fight, knowing that I only had it on five days notice. I don't have a training camp for it. So I didn't even get to do the 12-round sparring leading up to it. Um, also, nine, I was a super middleweight. And plus, at the time, never doing a 12-rounder, being my first 12-rounder. There's a lot of factors in my mind um, in that fight. But off the back of that fight, knowing I could do 12 rounds without a training camp, um, at super middleweight with the British champion at the time, he was, I think, 23 fights, 15 knockouts, and I was only 10-0 and 0 at the time, um, kind of gave me a lot of reassurance to show that I can mix at that level without any training camp or anything coming up short um, in that fight kind of let me know that I was built I was built to do this basically I was built I was ready for it just had the minerals without even preparing and obviously you were mandatory for the you know for the British um, to confirm there there is no rematch clause um, do you I mean I'm not saying you should entertain any kind of a rematch but you don't you don't think you're going to be boxing him again I wouldn't have thought <laughs> Nah, what's the point? Do you know, sometimes that if you have a close fight, people think that you lost and you got a decision that you shouldn't have got or you scraped through tooth and nail, but people are like, nah, I'm not sure. Then it's kind of like you might want to rectify it in your head. You might entertain it. But I feel like when you're winning a fight quite comfortably and then you get the KO, um, you drop him and get a KO, I think it was a convincing enough to move on. Yeah, I'd agree. To be honest, I don't. I, I'm just throwing it out there for those Birmingham listeners. <laughs> uh, <laughs> if there's anyone that does think uh, it was somewhat, um, I don't know, just uh, unlucky. I don't know. I don't know. We, we, we shall see. Anyway, moving on, Craig. Um, where do you kind of see your? I want to say not too distant plans at because, like I say. Um, a few years ago, I remember you saying you can get caught up in that, you know, caught up kind of around that southern area level if you're defending the belt too long. I remember when you picked it up as well, your your idea straight away was to vacate it before the night was even out. Um, you got the British now. Do you see yourself staying at this kind of level? Do you want to win it outright? Does that mean anything to you? Kind of depends on the opportunities what arise at this at this time. It's all got to be pro- progress for me. It's got to have fights that make sense for me personally. I'd like to keep pushing forward. Um, in my career I feel I've done things the right way but I've been at domestic level for a while other than Sam if you look at the CV I've beat a guy 14 and 0 top 10 a top 10 12 and 0 a top 10 10 and 0 a top 10 12 and 1 so I've had all this domestic experience at this British level so it, it's safe to say if I wanted to now I can push on so if there isn't something that domestically was worth me sticking around for um, and I happen to just have three domestic fights, what made sense, then so be it. But if not, I'm happy to push on. So it just kind of depends on what my team thinks and the opportunities that arise for me from now. And just before we wrap it up, Craig, if you've got any closing words just to our listeners, uh, like I told them all before the fight, um, you know, I expected that fight to go the way it went. I'm not sure if, if anyone listened, if anyone made any money on my predictions, but... I uh, I won a few pounds in there just before Christmas. What's your message to the listeners? Oh, I'm thank you for keep supporting. Um, keep supporting. Keep tuning in. Um, this journey, as you see, I'm always in good fights. Always in exciting fights. And I'm um, 
grateful for your support. So I'm going to keep delivering. Follow me on my social platforms for updates and find out what's really going on. So, yeah, thank you again. We working. We working. Listen, Craig, it's always a pleasure speaking with you, my friend. Uh, thanks for your time. Congrats once again on a brilliant, brilliant win. And I hope that uh, I can see you at some point in uh, in 2021. Let's hope. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. We've got to make it happen. A million percent. Okay, and this wraps up episode 275 of the Box Hard Podcast. I've been your host, Joey Coastman. Eddie Chambers has been with me for the duration of the show. A massive thank you to our two guests on this week's podcast, the reigning WBO Super Bantamweight World Champion Angelo Leo and the reigning British Light Heavyweight Champion Craig Richards. The biggest thanks of all, though, goes out to you, the listeners, of course. Um, thank you for sticking with us once again. There has been one or two pieces of news break whilst we've been recording the show Uh, Josh Warrington has decided to vacate his world title it's a bit baffling really because he was close to being forced into a fight with Kid Galahad but like we said he's still going to go ahead and fight Maurizio Lara which is a pointless non-title fight I can't really understand what his plans are going forward they're talking about a potential big fight with Gary Russell Jr I don't think that's a massive money fight they're talking about a Kanzu fight but nothing at the minute is in concrete it seems like a premature thing to vacate the belt um, it's, it's looking like he's perhaps stuck in a rematch, dare I say it, with Kid Galahad. Um, but yeah, I'm not sure what's going on with him. He's still fighting that unknown guy, Maurizio Lara, who hasn't had a 12-round fight in his life. Um, Kid Galahad will now be fighting for the vacant world title against the next in line. Currently, the IBF don't actually have a number two spot Um you know, no one's in that number two spot. It's not rated. So if you look down the list, the next man um, available is in the number three spot. That man would be Jazza Dickens. Certainly, uh, you know, that's a fight I'd welcome. I wouldn't mind seeing that rematch. They boxed in 2013. Jazza Dickens has um, improved so much since then. And with Kid Galahad, it's just been a bit frustrating. In other news, MTK Global have announced three fight dates all set in Dubai for what they're calling the Dubai Fight Series. It all kicks off on February the 6th when Lee McGregor challenges Kareem Gwerfi for the European title and Sean McComb boxes Gavin Gwynn for the Commonwealth title. On March the 12th, Tyrone McKenna headlines that card. He'll be taking on the undefeated 24-0 Zankosh Tururov as the as the main event on that card. And then on April the 3rd, four-weight world champion Donny Nietes returns to the ring to headline that show. But there's no announcement on his opponent just yet. Um, the final piece of news as well is that Canelo is going to be taking on Avni Yildirim, his mandatory. Um, people know Yildirim, of course, because he was a former victim of Chris Eubank Jr. That's going to be taking place on February 27th in Miami, Florida. But that's about everything from myself. Remember, if you get any time to please leave us a review on iTunes. It's very much appreciated. Um, On next week's show as well, we'll definitely have Jamel Herring on, that is for sure. Enjoy your weekends, people. Stay safe, and we shall see you all again next week.